The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907 341 4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, good morning, ACF Church. How you guys doing? Are you awake? Are you here? You made it. It's 9 a.m. You made it to church. It's almost Christmas. You got your, your Christmas shopping done, right? Men? Men, did you do it? Did you? Oh, yeah, I see it. Every year, every year, my favorite thing on Christmas Eve is to try to get to Fred Meyer for at least a few minutes and just watch the, the frantic men running around trying to find stuff, you know, on the show. It's just awesome. So anyway, welcome. If you're new, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's almost Christmas. I'm excited to be here with you today. Uh, we are in a series called All We Need as we lead up to this Christmas Eve uh, service that we're, that we're doing. We're actually doing four services. If you haven't gotten tickets, make sure you get tickets for that. Today, it's your last chance, and, and get tickets for your friends and neighbors. Um, we're planning our family tomorrow. We're going to go around our neighborhood and uh, give out cookies and invitations to Christmas Eve. And so I'd encourage you to do that. Bake up some delectable Christmas delights and bring them around to your neighborhood. And just invite people. It's the time of year that people are open to that. They almost expect it. You know, if you're a Christian and you don't invite them to Christmas Eve, they're going to be like, seriously, dude, what's the deal? Like, don't you love me? I didn't know that I didn't matter to you. So anyway, invite your friends to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we've set a family goal for this series, and it said this. We want to celebrate the birth of Christ as if it were the first time you had heard it, being amazed and marveling at the incarnation of God with a childlike astonishment. So that word incarnation simply means God in the flesh. God came to earth uh, in the form of a, of a baby, which and he grew up to be a man, and he was just like us as a human. So that was God on earth with us. And to be able to see that with new eyes, if you're anything like me, Christmas kind of comes and goes, and I'm like, yeah, it was a lot like last year. Same ornaments, same tree, uh, similar presents. It just, you know, it's like Groundhog Day, right? Uh, but you can see things new. I hope you've had a chance this year to, uh, to see Christmas with some new eyes and to appreciate uh, what we have had in Christ in the past year and what we will have this next year as Jesus is all we need. So uh, I hope you're here and I hope you're awake. Uh, I know it's dark outside. Uh, maybe you need some vitamin D. Uh, do some tanning. I went tanning this week. That's kind of weird. Uh, I'm not really a tanning kind of guy, but uh, in the middle of winter, I go tanning because it just makes me feel better. Uh, my wife talked me into that a while back, and I'm like, sure, I'll do it for you. Then I was like, I really like that. You can kind of imagine that you're in some kind of tropical paradise for 12 minutes, and uh, then you're done. So anyway, uh, don't judge me for tanning. It feels good. So Open up your Bibles to the book of Colossians if, uh, if you have one. If not, that's fine. You can just read it on the screen behind me. But uh, it's the political season. Who watched the debates this week? Did you watch them? Uh, yep. Yeah, how'd it go? It's a little, it's okay. You know, our family, we DVR the debates so that we can fast forward through the bickering. Um, when it just turns into bickering, we just fast forward to try to get, so it's like we fast forward through the entire thing, we get to the end. We're like, we saw nothing. But uh, tis the season to bicker. Tis the season to, and you've got a year left, so pace yourself. Um, I see some people already tripping out on their side of the political party, trying to, um, man, it, it's just hard. It, it's very difficult. There's a lot of opinions floating around. 
And some of you are freaked out just about Christmas dinner because you know, like, Uncle Bill's going to show up and all he watches is Fox News. And you know, Aunt Suzanne's going to show up and she's like an NPR woman. And they're just going to, like, you're waiting for it, right? So, I mean, it's a time of tension for a lot of people. And uh, let me encourage you, ask a lot of questions during the political season. If you end up in a conversation with somebody and it's getting a little heated, uh, ask questions. Like, like why, why do you have this opinion? Where does this come from? Tell me, tell me maybe uh, some, some of the publications you've read, the books and the studies that have helped you develop the opinion that you have. Because the tendency is just to throw out these vague, deep opinions about things, not necessarily to know why we have these opinions. And so ask a lot of questions. Um, don't lose any friendships, I'd encourage you. Uh, maybe you already have lost a friendship because you were like, yeah, we were close until I found out your opinion on gun control. And now, like, I can't hang out with you. I don't know. Like, all of a sudden... I hate your guts. And so don't do that. Don't throw away friendships for this stuff. But essentially in, and I know it's important, and this stuff's important. Essentially in this time, uh, in this early church, there was a lot, of, a lot of tension about things. And there was a lot of different opinions floating around about how the law that God had given to his people affects life after Christ. Like what does this actually look like? And so let's, let's read these passages together. Colossians 2 verse 16 says, Therefore... Let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from which the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? What does that have to do with Christmas? We're going to get there. Let's pray together. Jesus, thanks for your word. Uh, thanks for uh, this, this Christmas season as we come into this celebration that we have together of uh, the Christ child come to earth for us. God, we do believe that we have given everything, been given everything that we need. Um, and yet, God, I confess that I walk around wanting and uh, feeling like, uh, like I need more out of this world. God, you have given me everything uh, to experience joy and peace and hope and all the things that we want this Christmas in Christ. So, God, I pray we'd know that to the depths of our soul, God, down into our guts, that Jesus is enough. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this passage, we're just going to walk through it. Um, it. It starts off with the word therefore, and kind of the old adage is when there's a therefore in a verse, you need to find out what the therefore is. Therefore, right, that's, that's what you always do. You need to go back. And so last week we talked about how we are now alive in Christ. I had the, remember I had the defibrillator up here, and uh, I talked about how we were dead in our transgressions, how we had no heartbeat. It was like we couldn't help ourselves, and Christ came to earth to help a helpless people, to give us life in Christ. So he's saying, therefore, now that you knew that you were dead, you couldn't help yourself. You couldn't do anything to make yourself acceptable to God. God raised you up in Christ. Therefore, now that you are alive in Christ, he says this, let no one pass judgment on you. Now, this is an interesting thing to start off with. Um, at first, I was like, I kind of like that. Don't let anybody judge me. And um, maybe you've said this before of like, don't judge me. Or maybe you have some friends that say that a lot. Don't judge me. And if I'm honest, the only time I say that is when I'm doing something wrong. Um, when I have to make a point that nobody can judge me, typically um, I'm asking for judgment in some area of my life. But this isn't what he's saying. He's not, he's not telling you that, uh, that you want to stop people 
from judging you. Because good luck, right? Good luck at stopping people from judging you. Um, Good luck at living your life in a way that nobody will judge you because that's just not going to happen, is it? Um, For me as a pastor, I've learned that I I can't preach so that you will like me. Uh, I can't preach so that you will feel good feelings about me because I end up in the ditch. I end up preaching things that aren't uh, right or don't come across the way that uh, Scripture puts them across. And so I need to make sure that I'm true to God and true to who I am as a teacher. And so he's saying, listen, don't let somebody judge you, which means don't let somebody else be your conscience. You have your own conscience. You have your own sense of right and wrong. And not that somebody else might not have an opinion for you, because sometimes our consciences are blinded or seared, as the Bible says. So listen to the feedback, but understand that in the end, the one who judges is God himself. That's whose opinion matters. Uh, Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 4, he says that basically, I don't care whether the, the, the judges of man or of even my own judgment uh, comes out, but I, I care what God thinks of me. I care what God thinks in the end, he says, in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So what's going on here? He's talking about food or drink, talking about these food laws that they had. Uh, you see, the Jewish people have been given all of these laws that um, part of that was certain foods and, and uh, drinks that they could have and couldn't have at certain different times of the year. And so in this, this Colossae church, which as we mentioned early on was this kind of syncretistic uh, melting pot of all kinds of different religions and worldviews. They've got a lot of different thoughts about what was right and what wasn't right, spiritually speaking. So there was some judgment going on about what was being drank and what was being eaten at different times of the year. Now, why food laws? If you've read the food laws, if you've read uh, the Old Testament and walked through, there's some interesting, sometimes kind of strange things in there. You're like, why is that not okay? Why, why has God said this is okay to eat and that's not okay to eat. It gets really confusing. Um, There's a few different perspectives on this. The first was maybe hygiene, that certain kinds of foods actually could get you sick. Um, If they didn't cook things right, you know, if you've ever had like pork that was undercooked, like not a good thing, you can get sick from it. They didn't really have the science that we have today. Um, So God knew and he was trying to protect them. There were certain kinds of things they should eat, certain kinds of things they shouldn't eat, just basically for their physical protection. Um, another thing is a religious association. There are all of these pagan religions that would use certain animals for sacrifices to their pagan gods. And so God was like, listen, don't, don't participate in eating these animals because these animals are associated publicly with this religion. I want you to eat these animals associated with worshiping of God, of Yahweh, of, uh, of the Bible. And so I want you to make sure that you set yourself apart, which is good. Um, there's also symbolism, and there's all kinds of opinions about why the different animals represented different things uh, symbol, in the symbolism. And uh, one commentator says this, that animals that chew their cud make an animal clean because it reminds med, men to meditate on the law. I don't know. Uh, so next time you see a cow in the field chewing his cud, you're like, hey, what's he doing? He's thinking about the law. Of... So anyway, that's, that's interesting. That's one perspective. Another suggests that sheep are clean because it reminded the ancient Israelites that the Lord was their shepherd. So there you go. Um, I don't know. There's all kinds of different opinions about what the symbolism was behind certain animals that they could eat and couldn't eat. Um, Essentially, these laws were set for God's people. Then Jesus shows up, and he kind of blows apart their perspective on what all of this was about, especially because at this point, Um, In this day, there were these religious teachers that had taken all of these laws to the nth degree, and they'd even added a few just to make up. 
for, uh, for any lost time. And so anybody ever known a teacher's pet? Did you have a teacher's pet? You remember some teacher's pets in school? Maybe you were the teacher's pet. You're like, that was me. Um, but the teacher's pet is the person that doesn't just do the work. They go the extra mile every day, right? And they screw up the curve for everybody. So, you know, not only do they do the test, but then they bring, to, you know, the apple to school, and they compliment the teacher on her clothes, and they're always brown-nosing, right? And the teacher always loves the teacher's pet. And so there's this, this type of personality that always wants to go farther than what's even expected, so that you can be a little closer, you know, to, that, to the teacher or the person in authority. And there was these religious leaders that were kind of this way. They're like, hey, if, if not eating these things is good, well, let's, let's cut out all of this stuff, and that's going to be a way to get to God or to get God to love you or accept you more. And so you've got these Gentiles. These are the non-religious people and these Jewish people who are rubbing shoulders, and there's some arguments going on about what should be eaten and what shouldn't be eaten. You know, I think about this um, in our church. We, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things that, if you're not a Christian, might kind of throw you off where you don't really know why we do these things. A communion every week, kind of an interesting thing. If you're, a, um, if you're a Christian, you've been around the church for a while, you know what communion's about. If you're not, you're like, blood, body of Christ, we're eating it. That seems kind of gross. I don't understand why they're doing this. It's all got religious symbolism to it. And when you understand what its purpose is, it's good. But when you lose its purpose, it becomes a, a very negative thing to people. And so... Um, I don't know what your growth, uh, your, your, your religious background is. I grew up Baptist. Any Baptist people in the, in the room? Got some Baptist people. So growing up Baptist, um, it, it was great. I had a foundation of the word. My dad, he always sang in the choir. And so uh, I would come to choir practice every week and run around in the church and find all the little nooks and crannies to hide in and stuff. And uh, in, in, in the Baptist church, you're taught that, uh, that Jesus turned the water into grape juice, not into wine, right? Like it's, and it's even bad grape juice. It's watered down grape juice, you know, no alcohol, not okay. So that's my upbringing. So I get into high school and uh, I go over to my buddy's house and I sit down on his couch and, and we're watching TV and his dad comes home and his dad walks by us, walks over to the kitchen, opens the refrigerator and I hear, right? And he comes back over and he's got like, I don't know, some... Coors Light or something in his hand. He sits down, and I was like, I was mortified, right? I'm like a freshman in high school. I was like, and this kid, like the family goes to our church. I I was like, oh my goodness. And I immediately started praying for this man's alcoholism, and I was like, dear Lord, save this guy. He knows not what he does. He's lost in his alcoholism, and oh, my friend, I'm sure his life is horrible. And, And so I just, I'm like praying for this guy, and he's just sipping away on his Coors Light. And I remember, like, it was a few weeks later, I was talking to my buddy, and I was like, hey, how's your dad? <laughs> he's like, uh, good. I'm like, no, seriously, you can, you can tell me. How's he doing? And he's like, good. And I'm like, well, I've been praying for him. Like, like how's he doing with the drinking? And he's like, good. I think he likes it. And I'm like, <laughs> Okay, I don't know if my prayers are working or they're not working. I'm not sure what to... Ex- so this is a really, really weird experience for me. I'd never been around this before. And, and the guy wasn't an alcoholic. He just, you know, had a beer when he got home from work. And I was thrown off by that. I'd never seen that before because I had this, this understanding that if you knew Jesus, you didn't touch that stuff, right? It was like, it was a very clear line in the sand. That was not a, a good thing to do. And so 
we have these things in our, in our lives, these lines that we've drawn in the sand, uh, these certain things that we would say, okay, this makes you holy, this does not make you holy. Um, I can't tell you how many people have come up to me before and they're like, well, <laughs> I saw your face on the website and then I saw your hair and I said, I'm never going to go to that church. <laughs> and then I showed up and I love it. And I'm like, I don't know how to take that kind of statement. What do I, thank you, that's great, I'm glad you showed up. I don't know, like, I've heard that multiple times. So there's something clearly uh, from certain people with certain religious backgrounds that it, maybe it's long hair, maybe it's certain kinds of pants. You know, are we done arguing about the yoga pants? I don't know. Um, like, what is it that is like, this is the line that I've drawn in the sand, this makes you a believer and this doesn't make you a believer or, you know, whatever it may be. And, and it was no different in their day. People were drawing lines in the sand based on their uh, their background, their religious background. And what happens when you get a bunch of uh, highly religious people together with a bunch of people who have never been to church before is judgment, right? Judgment happens. You've seen it before. Uh, but from both sides, though, because what happens is the highly religious person is judging the, the non-religious person as, you know, somebody who's like, they, they don't have any discipline in their lives, and why don't they care about things? They need to get things together. Then the, the, the person over here who's not very religious, doesn't come from a churchy background, is like, dude, like, loosen up. I mean, it's life. It's short. Enjoy yourself a little bit. Come on. So there's this, this back and forth judgment going on that we see in this early church, and we see it just as much today. In verse 17, he explains what these religious things were for, what all of this law was really about. He says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. A shadow of things to come. So when, uh, when I was dating my wife, Amanda, we got uh, boxes, shoe boxes, and we started putting junk in the boxes. Anybody else do this? Um, these are like uh, our relationship boxes. And so we would hold on to things in our dating relationship that would remind us of the other person. Is that cheesy? I know it is. So, um, but we did. We thought it was great. And so we'd put in little sticky notes that we'd get from each other because we'd drive to each other's houses early in the morning, like little, I love you, and stick it to the car window. Uh, we don't do that anymore. I don't know what's wrong with us. But <laughs> things change. So anything like that, we throw it in the box. And uh, I, I have a, uh, a paper towel, towel that is torn apart. And it's the paper towel I had in my hand as I asked her dad if I could marry his daughter. And I just destroyed it. I was, aw, so cute. So I destroyed this thing. I was so nervous about this conversation. I put it in the box. So I've got all these little trinkets, all this stuff that you're like, why would you keep that? But it all means something to me, right? In this, this, this shoe box. Um, and so imagine this. Imagine you drive by my house one night, kind of creeper style, and the, the, the window's open, and you can see inside... And uh, you see me, and the lights are down low. You can hear some, like, you know, Marvin Gaye playing in the background. Like, there's candles lit. And then there's Brian sitting at the table across from the box. And I'm talking to the box, and I'm looking at the box, and I've got this little relationship with the box. How weird would that be, right? You're like, that's stupid, Brian. Nobody would ever do that. It doesn't make any sense. Because the whole point of the box, and I open the box sometimes, and, and I look at all the stuff in there, and I open it because it reminds me of my wife, right? It reminds me of my relationship 
with her and of our time growing in love together. That was the intention of holding on to all of this stuff. How ridiculous would it be if I was in love with the box, if I developed a relationship with the box, if you're just like, every time you see me, I'm like this. <sighs> you know, just out for a walk with the box. Life's good, just me and the box. Super weird, but, but this is essentially what happens to Christians, is, is we learn how to relate to God, and maybe we read the Bible and we find certain ways that God says, this is how you show your love to me. And then at some point, what we find out is that we've developed a love more for the box, more for the ways that we love God than for God himself. And this was happening in this early church, and, and so he's saying, hey, listen, there's this judgment that's happening. People are judging you because you're eating a certain thing or drinking a certain thing. Understand, these things were all about me. They were a shadow. Because if you think about what a shadow is, a shadow is simply a kind of a mixed up image of a, of a form, right? And uh, like when we go for a walk as a family, it's kind of fun in the, in the long sunsets that we have in Alaska because you end up with this six foot, 12 foot, 20 foot long shadow based on where the sun's at. It's never quite a perfect uh, picture of you, is it? It's just sort of like a deformed version of yourself. And so, you know, when I'm walking with the kids, it's like the girls are like, look, I've got 12-foot-long arms, and they're playing in the shadows. And, but it's never quite who we are. And that's the whole idea that the law isn't, isn't quite what God is. It was good for what it was intended to do, but it was merely a shadow of Christ, a, a, a reflection of what Christ is for us. And it was intended to point us to him. See, everything about your life is meant to point you to your creator. Everything that you experience, every good thing that you do is meant to point you to God himself. The law could be described as like a tutor. All of the religious rules that you have in your life, the things you're like, this is what good Christians do and this is what good Christians don't do. All of those rules are like a tutor to develop love in your heart for God That's the whole point. It's like if you have sort of a thing about going to church on Sunday. You have this idea of Sabbath, and you're like, I go to church on Sunday, or maybe it's Wednesday, whenever it is for you. Um, And you're like, this is what I do every week. That's great. That's really good. That's cool that you do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But understand that every day of the week is a day with God, right? Like every day is God's day. I mean, how ridiculous would it be to go to church on Sunday and then go to work on Monday and act like you've never been to church at all, as if God isn't with you on Monday? That's crazy. But again, the idea of Sabbath, it points you to a greater truth, which is that every day is holy. Every day is an opportunity for you to be with God and to honor Him. You know, maybe you do control certain parts of your diet. You have certain convictions about things you should eat or shouldn't eat. But all food is given as a gift of God to people. So understand that, that all of it is given to you. You can read your Bible. It's a good thing. I hope you read your Bible. I hope you set a time in your day where you're like, I'm just going to open the Word. Even if it's for five minutes, read your Bible. I hope you do. But then when you close it, understand that God wants to speak to you for the rest of the day. Like, you didn't just shut off the communication between you and God. It's not done. It's, it's, it's merely a shadow of a greater truth, which is that God wants to be in communion with his people all the time, right? You see this? There's like, there's the, the tutor. There's this, this rule or whatever it is in your life. And then there's the greater truth that we all want to be developing in our lives. You can put 10% of your income in the tithe, in the basket as it comes by. You can do that. That's, 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 that's fine to do, but understand that it's a trainer, 
that everything that you have in your life, all of the ability that you have to make money, the intellect, the, the, the strength in your hands is a gift from God and none of it's a guarantee, right? It's a trainer. It's all God's and you're merely an investor. You're merely somebody who is using what God has given you in the ways that he calls you to. Single people, how about this? Single people, you may say, I'm gonna save myself for marriage, physically speaking. I'm gonna, I'm gonna save myself. I'm gonna try to stay physically pure for marriage. Keep this relationship healthy. But understand this, you can do that and you should, but also understand that in this relationship, your entire relationship is, is going to be created as a way to honor God. That's what it was built for. Not just your physical relationship, but your emotional relationship, the way you relate to other people as a couple. It's not just about keeping your body pure, your mind, your heart, and your soul honoring God in your entire relationship. See, it's a start, and there's nothing wrong with it, but there's a greater truth to be understood here. Matthew 23, 24 talks about these religious Pharisees of their day. He says, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Basically, he's like, you're, you're giving people all these rules. Uh, it, the Bible says you, you tie up heavy burdens on people's backs and you do nothing to help them. You don't even lift a finger. You tie up these heavy loads and it's like you're straining out a gnat. Out of, you got your drink. You know, you're in Alaska. You're in the woods and you've got a gnat in your drink. You strain out a gnat and then you swallow a camel. And you'd be like, Jesus, that's a really silly illustration. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's a really silly thing to do, isn't it? You have all of these rules, and yet you're missing the point. You're missing that these are a shadow. So the first thing I have for you today is that you should never trust a shadow. Don't trust the shadow. It's not about the shadow. See, people in their day, they had trusted in the law. They had put their faith in the law instead of their faith in God. You see the difference? There's a big, there's a big difference between those two things. Never trust a shadow. Maybe in your life, it's anything that causes you to seek God's favor instead of seeking his face. It's anything that's, tr you're trying to manipulate God into loving you more or giving you more instead of loving God himself. In, in our house, we kind of have this rule where uh, when I'm talking to my kids, I say, look me in the eyes. Look me in the eyes. Because my kids will be doing stuff and they'll be like, yeah, dad, yeah, dad. And, and I'm like, stop, and I turn them around and said, look in my eyes when I'm speaking to you, because there's a different kind of relationship that happens when you communicate looking somebody in the eyes, right? It's different, because you're actually watching that person's expressions, getting to know what they're really trying to say to you. And it's much easier just to mill around and to do the things that they're asking you to do than it is to look them in the eyes and actually understand what they're saying to you. I think we need to look God in the eyes and, and understand what all of this was about. Hebrews 10.1 says almost the same thing that we're reading. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. He's making it so clear. He's like, whatever you do, if it's church, if it's putting money in the plate, if it's not doing these bad things, you know, if it's doing these good things, if, if any of these things are your way of sacrificing to God, they will never do what Christ did for you. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what we celebrate every December, is that he came. He came and did all of what the law couldn't do. Romans 8 basically says that the law was weakened by the flesh, by our inability to fulfill it all. Only Christ could fulfill it. 
So I don't know what it is for you um, that causes you to seek out a shadow, but never trust a shadow. Never trust in the things and the grace that God has given you. It's all meant to point to God. Maybe you've got a good marriage, and your good marriage gives you a sense of security in this life. Never trust a shadow, because your marriage is a gift from God intended for you to make, uh, to give glory to God through your marriage, right? Maybe it's just you love this beautiful state that we live in where you get to go outside and look at the mountains and the trees and you love getting out there and four-wheeling and fishing and snow machining and cross-country skiing and running and you love all that stuff. Love that stuff, but don't trust the shadow because that's all God's grace given to all of us intended for you to give him honor for what you have. You see, how, you see how it's just it's a small shift, but it works its way into our lives and we find ourselves being very comfortable but not really looking God in his eye not really thanking him for what we have. The second thing is this, shadows should point to Jesus, not be in place of Jesus. So if there is a shadow, if there is a box, again, this is me saying, don't, don't fall in love with the box. This is going to do nothing for you if you love it. It, it, these, are, these are dead things. The law in and of itself is dead. The, the religious duties that you find yourself in, dead. None of it really matters unless it's about the form that causes the shadow. It's about God himself. So in verse 18, he says, let no one disqualify you, which is basically like saying, let no one be your umpire, no one else. Let nobody else be the one that says you're in or you're out based on you did this or you don't do this. Insisting on, these, these religious people were insisting on a certain way of acting. And, and even like another way of putting what was going on here was they were like delighting in it. They really had this joy in their religion. I mean, they really had this deep passion for the box. I mean, they were excited. All I could think of was like CrossFit people. Any CrossFit people in the room? Come on, be honest. Oh, we would know. We would know. Yep. So there's none. Good. Because you would raise your hand. You'd be up here like immediately. Because you know CrossFit people, right? They're obsessed with CrossFit. You can't miss them. They're always trying to recruit new people into the CrossFit. This is the way that you get in shape. This is God's gift to humanity, CrossFit. That's, that's religious people, right? It's like just this is what it's about. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on, then he uses this word, asceticism. And asceticism is simply this, this false humility or denial. It's where people give up certain things to get God to love them more, to accept them more. It's like, Brian, I do all of these things. I, uh, I drive a Prius, you know, and I recycle, and uh, I don't eat bacon, which I just think is wrong. And, you know, whatever it is that you're like, I do these things. I'm going to work bacon in, into all my sermons. That's my goal. I do these things, and that makes God love me a little. I, I deny myself of certain things, and that means that God's going to love me a little. Like, I'm a little closer to God. Look at, look at me, because I deny myself of these certain things. So that's what these people are doing. Then he goes on to talk about what this, what this looked like for these highly religious people. He says, in the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. I love the, the verbiage in, in Scripture by his sensuous mind. So the worship of angels. This is the process that these religious leaders were on, was, was this kind of journey of empty religion. And so as you read this, you can kind of see this three steps to an empty religion. And so I just kind of wrote these out and wanted to identify these. He talks about the worship of angels. The worship of angels. 
This is basically to pursue a deeper spirituality than pursuing Jesus deeper. The worship of angels. This is like, have you ever had the tinglys at church? Like the emotional, whoa. Did you feel that? Anybody, did you feel that? Or maybe you, you watched you know, some kind of movie or you had this emotional experience. And what happens is people love that emotional experience. People are drawn to things that give them that kind of like almost a spiritual high. And so what these people were after was just another spiritual high, just another emotional experience. And then he says, going on to detail about vision. So first, they had these emotional experience. Understand one thing I want to clarify. Emotions are not bad. I think God gave us emotions, and I think when you worship Jesus and you realize what he's done for you, it's emotional sometimes. And, and if there's not like, I feel like I'm tearing up occasionally, just get in touch with your heart a little bit because God's done some amazing things for you. But again, those are all things that cause you to worship God. You don't worship the emotions. That's what these people were doing. Going on to detail about visions. The second step is try to induce these deeper spiritual experiences on others. So again, like the CrossFit people, they had the, had the experience, they were like, this is what it's about. I must go recruit more people to do what I did. It's so amazing. This is the only way to relate to God. I found this deeper way, this deeper spirituality, which a lot of cults have been started by finding a, a deeper, new, special way of relating to God beyond the word of God. And then he says, puffed up without any reason by his sensuous mind. So the third step is discern the meaning of the experiences using human wisdom rather than godly wisdom. So you see the three steps? Deep emotional experience, go and try to recruit more people, and then get together and talk about how awesome it was and how great that emotional experience was, and, and use your, your physical mind instead of the Spirit of God to discern what actually happened there. We just went through the book of James, and he talks about the difference between human wisdom, the, the wisdom that's driven by our own, our own human logic, and spiritual wisdom, godly wisdom, driven by God's perspective on the world. And then he talks about being puffed up, puffed up without reason. This is what happens. This is why people that are very religious end up seemingly pretty arrogant, is because mere spirituality leads to pride because we find it, but true salvation leads to humility because we realize that Jesus found us. You see the difference? You see, I just described this whole journey of, of what we did to find a deeper religion, to find a deeper spirituality, to find this new great experience. But it wasn't about the God we were intending to worship. It was about us getting a deeper thing. So this is, if you find yourself wrestling with pride and arrogance, which all of us do in some senses, what you're going to find is there's probably some kind of religious foothold in your life. Something in there that's caused you to lose track of what all this is about. It's all a shadow intended to point us to the Savior. So I don't want to fall too far off the edge here. Some of you are like, Brian, it sounds like what you're saying is that um, it doesn't matter what we do in life. Do my decisions not matter? Does it, does it not matter if I do the right thing or, not the, or the wrong thing? That's not what I'm saying. I'm certainly not saying that. But I am saying that the motivation for doing the right thing should be the worship of God and not the glorification of yourself or, or not trying to get closer to God by doing a certain thing or not doing another thing. So this is a little bit like walking a knife edge because the tendency of the church is to fall onto one side or the other. Either you're here today and you're like, yeah, Brian, I, uh, my life is, is beautiful. I mean, 
yeah, come judge me, bro, because I got it all together. I mean, I got it all lined out. I'll show you all the religious requirements. Or you're over here and you're going, yeah, I love this. I love this whole idea that like I don't really need to worry about doing the right thing, uh, that, that Jesus saved me, uh, kind of this, this cheaper version of grace um, over here. So we tend to fall off on one side or the other. I'd encourage you not to, to understand that the purpose here. Do what's right, but do it because God's so good. And do it, do it, do it for him. A third, the third thing is this. The shadow fails without its form. The shadow fails without its form. The law was intended to point you to God, to remind you of God. If you don't remember that it's about God, it's a failure. It's a failure. Verse 19 says, And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So what he's saying here is like you can grow spiritually with this spiritual kind of thing, but it's not really the worship of God himself unless you connect the shadow to God. So connect those things. Hold fast to the head. The head of the body is Christ. The head of the church is Christ. So he kind of uses almost this medical illustration that you need to hold fast to the head because through the head, the whole body is nourished. It's kind of like if you chopped off the head of a person, you know, like it'd be weird first. They, they couldn't actually be alive. But if they could be alive, then they wouldn't grow properly. They couldn't be nourished because the body is nourished through the, through the head, right? Like you can't eat without your head. You got to have a head is basically what he's saying. He's saying there's these people who are growing in this deeper spiritual thing. They feel like God loves them, but they're not actually connected to the form that creates the shadow. They're doing all of these good religious things. Uh, they look really clean and put together. People might say, hey, that's a really good Christian. Look at what he does. Look how he helps people. Look how much he gives. Look how much he serves. But you're disconnected from the head, and the head is Christ. Christ is the head of all the church. And so that's what Christmas is all about, is getting us back to the head of, of the church, the one who came for us, the one that came to show us that all of this is about him. So don't grow without the head. Don't, don't be religious without the head is what he's saying. If it, verse 20, he says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you are still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Paul's basically saying this. If you've got Jesus, stop running to the box. Whatever it is for you, and, and you, only you can identify this today, but all of us have some certain religious requirements that we've placed on other people or placed on ourselves that we've used in place of actually developing a love for God. We've settled for less. Some people would say, oh no, the, you know, look, I, I, I do the right things. That's great. I set the high bar. Look, I go to church on Sunday. As we talked last week, look, I don't murder. That's great. Good for you. You know, like we, we, set, we set the bar. Look, we're so good. And it's all intended to point us to Christ the Savior. And so I hope that as you celebrate Christmas this year, that you celebrate the head of the church coming to earth to show us what all of this was about. There's a lot of confused people there. Just as I think today, there's a lot of confused people in the church. Like, what is this really all about? And if you wonder sometimes why you lack motivation, I think it's often because you're not connected to the head. You're malnourished. 
Like you're doing a lot of really good things. You're like the dead walking, but you don't have the head connected so that you can be nourished by God. So this is all about God. We, uh, we had our volunteer um, dinner this last week. And uh, I told them, I'm like, I don't love the word volunteers. We have a lot of amazing volunteers at ACF Church, but I don't love the word volunteers. And I said, the reason I don't love that word is because in essence, the word volunteer is about serving on your own terms. Like, hey, we need somebody to volunteer to watch the kids. Anybody willing to do this? Okay, sure, I'll do it for a little while. Hey, we need somebody to be on the worship team. Anybody willing to do this? Oh, sure, I'll do it. Like this volunteerism. I said a, a better word that I, that I like a lot more is disciple. Because when you're a disciple, you're operating as the part of the body that God has gifted you to be, and you're going to serve in the way that God calls you to serve, not for anybody on earth, but for God himself. It's so different. That's why churches, I think churches are dying. There's all kinds of things they're trying to do, but nobody's raising their hands to be involved it's because they're looking for volunteers and not disciples. We don't need more volunteers. We need more disciples. We need people who are like, I am part of the body. Christ is the head. I want to be connected to the head. And when I'm connected to the head, I'm going to operate in the way that Christ calls me to operate. He's gifted me with guitar playing. Okay, sweet. That's what I do. That's my sweet spot. He's, you know, I'm a per people person. I'm going to go serve out in the lobby. I love kids or they drive me crazy, but I'm willing to hang out with kids. So I'm going to go downstairs and I'm serving kids. I don't know what it is for you, but you start doing things and you have the motivation to do them because you're not doing them for any other person. You're doing them for God not to love you, but because he already showed his love for you by sending Jesus. So here's my question. Are you free today? Do you know that freedom? Like totally freed up to love God. That feeling that you're okay in God's eyes. He loves you just the way you are. So now you're just, you're free to love him. You're free to show your love to him. Are you free today? Is your family free? Have you tied up heavy burdens on other people? Are you judging people based on their hair or based on how they look or based on how they act and you've determined whether or not they are in the family of God based on these things. So you're going to miss it. You're going to miss what it's all about. And if you are free today and you're like, yeah, Brian, I know that feeling. Praise God. We found Jesus. This is all about him. Then what you do, free people, they go and they find people who are enslaved and they set them free. Like that's what you do. Like if you've been freed and you've, you've been like, okay, Brian, I've stopped striving. I've stopped trying to get God to love me. I'm just going to receive it today. Then what you do is you go out and you find other people who are trying to get God to love them, trying to get through life without him, and you, you show them Jesus. You guys, that's our goal for Christmas Eve. Every year, uh, every Christmas Eve is an opportunity for us to present the gospel to people. And so we've been praying for our friends this month. A few weeks ago, we wrote names of our, our non-church friends that we love, people that we love to see here on Christmas Eve. I hope you've still been praying for them. You've got three days. Uh, go out, and I don't care if you had to got to kidnap them. Don't kidnap them. Don't do that. But invite them to church. Invite them to Christmas Eve and bring them here. And uh, this isn't the end-all, be-all. But this is an opportunity for a, a started conversation, for you to get together with them after Christmas, be like, hey, what'd you think of all that? How'd you feel about that? Like, like, what's your journey like? What do you think of God? Where are you at with this stuff? And I love that we have a church that's cool with that. Like, in some churches, if you come and you've got a lot of questions and a lot of doubts, I don't think that you fit in. ACF Church, you guys are a family that welcomes people with questions because you know what? You've got a lot of questions and you've got your own doubts. So I love that we have a community like that. 
So I hope that we can do that. I'm so excited, you guys, for this next year. We've got a lot of good stuff planned. Um, be connected to the head. Trust in what Christ has done. Let's pray together. Jesus, this is such good news. And uh, I, th I think it's lost on us sometimes. We miss how good of news it is. I don't know why we are drawn back to the box, God. I don't know why we're drawn back to the way that we relate to you. God, I don't know why we get caught in the, God, the good deeds of life and we forget that this is all intended to develop a deeper love and joy in Christ. But we do. God, we trust in ourselves. We trust in our own ability to to get things together. We trust in the grace that you've given us rather than trusting in you. We find peace in life when it's easy and then we come running back to you when things fall apart. God, I pray for us as a church, as a gathering of people, that we'd be solid, that we'd be connected to the head that is Christ, that we'd stop striving. God, whatever our religious background is, God, God, whether we've spent a lifetime judging people or a lifetime trying to get you to love us, God, that we could stop the striving and simply receive what's freely given to us today. God, could there be new salvation in our room today, new hope, new peace. We could leave here a little lighter having known that you love us despite us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.